Welcome to the Woody Report. This podcast, Washington and Lee School of Law Professor Karen Woody and host Tom Fox discuss issues on white-collar crime, compliance, international corruption, securities law and accounting fraud, and internal corporate investigations. From current events to topical issues to academic research and thought leadership, Karen Woody helps lead the discussion on these issues on this new and exciting podcast. The Woody Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, we take a deep dive into the Twitter lawsuit against Elon Musk for specific performance to close the Twitter transaction, which he is trying to get out of. We take a look at the complaint filed by Twitter, what it consider what is specific performance and other equitable remedies, why this case is in Delaware and how the judge may impact the case, and some of the interesting discovery requests to date, all on this episode of The Woody Report. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Professor Karen Woody for another episode of The Woody Report. Today, we return to, if not the, certainly one of the favorite subjects of Karen Woody, and that, of course, is Elon Musk. But today, we're not just going to talk about Elon. We're going to talk about the lawsuit filed by Twitter against Musk for specific performance. So lots of juiciness, the complaint and the response or the answer were both really interesting documents to read. I think we have to talk about the court and the judge. She seems like one no-nonsense judge, so it's exactly what we need. And then some of the discovery that has been made public, or at least discovery requests that have been made public. Karen, first of all, welcome back from your summer hiatus. I know. Thank you, Tom. It's always a pleasure to be here and be on this with you. So could we start off with the complaint filed by Twitter? A lawsuit for specific performance in an M&A context is not unknown. Perhaps unusual specific performance is a well-known contract remedy, although not often used. I always perk up when I hear specific performance. So you want to start off with the complaint. And is that the right terminology in Delaware court complaint? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was a scathing document. I think it was 60 some pages about how much Elon has essentially cheated Twitter and has done a lot of this in bad faith. His claim about why he's backing out of the deal was all pretext. He's just has some buyer's remorse, but it was, it didn't pull any punches on how Twitter seems to feel about Elon and the way that this deal has gone which is why I was even more curious in some way to see at the end that the remedy demanded is, so that guy that we have just excoriated for the last 50 some pages needs to run this company. He has to buy it. We want specific performance. We want him to be, to close this deal because we think the reasons he's backing out of it aren't viable. So it's an ironic situation right there that this person is not to be trusted, but yet here he, he has to now buy, buy us, buy this company. So right there, it's unique. Everything about this case is unique. And so every time people point to precedent where we've seen Delaware court award specific performance, which you're right, as you point out, doesn't happen very often. And a lot of that has to do with the nature of that remedy in itself. But even if there is maybe some precedent here, this is just a different league. And we're talking about a $54 billion or $44 billion merger in with 
the richest man in the world and this company that is not just a company that's making widgets. Twitter in itself is a unique entity, a unique company. The services provides is interesting. There's a lot here that I think we won't have much to go on in terms of something similar that's happened before. So you're right. That's where we are. That's it certainly was the procedure and the posture of the complaint filed by Twitter about a month ago. And now we're underway of what is going to be a very contentious litigation, as we've seen just in the last 24 hours. As you said, the procedure, as we've seen the subpoenas that are flying back and forth, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting ride, as it always has been with him for the last more than a year at this point of just of what we see coming from Elon and from Twitter. So could perhaps some of our audience might not understand what specific performance is. Could you tell us that from a legal perspective? Sure. So specific performance is a remedy and it's historically a remedy in equity and not to go too far back, but really the idea there is that the courts in America are judges that sit on law and equity before the establishment of the United States, we imported this concept from England where they had separate courts. We had a court in law and then a separate court in equity. And that might explain where I'm going with this explanation of specific performance. Because if you think about this as a contract, this was a deal signed to have a purchase of a thing. In this case, the thing is Twitter. And typically written into that contract are the provisions of what happens if one party breaches. That's all set out. If that's Actually, even in this contract as well, there's a walkaway fee of $1 billion. Already foreseen or planned on potential things that could go wrong and have written into the contract itself the provisions that happen or what will happen should such a breach occur. And that is typically a legal remedy, meaning the terms of the contract dictate what happens next. Specific performance is a remedy in equity because it's basically asking for a remedy that stands outside of the terms of the deal. So it's it's saying the terms of the deal aren't good enough. It still won't make the injured party become whole or have the terms of the contract, what they what the contract contemplated as the remedy is not sufficient. Judge, can you please help us out here and grant specific performance? This is also where you see judges can go up or down on amount of damages, but all that again is not—it's not written out in the black letter law of the or the black letter of the contract. So specific performance, in particular, demands that the parties go forward with the deal. And like I said, this is a very a pretty rare remedy because when you think about what that means, is that you're forcing someone to do something that they don't want to do anymore. They breach the contract. And usually that means, all right, I got to pay someone out because I don't want to do this. But specific performance is typically reserved for times when there isn't a monetary amount that suffices to help the injured party, meaning there's sort of no amount of money that, that fixes this. And so we will ask to have the party actually perform under the contract. So that is why it's typically fairly rare you do see it sometimes more in M&A because you're dealing with corporations and we just talked about a merger. We're not making someone actually have to name it, pick you up in the Uber. There will be some, they'll pay you back, but they don't have to do the thing of any other contract. So like I said, it's very rare because it's not often that courts force people to do something when there is some other potential just monetary damage. So that's why it's already a unique situation. But that is what Twitter's asking. They're saying, 
The 1 billion walk away is insufficient when you think about the damage that Elon has has leveled against Twitter. He has to buy it. The full performance of the contract is the only thing that will help us get out of this and not have suffered injury. So I'd like to now pose the question of why are we in Delaware? Do Delaware courts sit in law and equity or is this a specific equity court? And then maybe we can have a little dialogue on the judge, Kathleen McCormick, because she seems like she's going to be, if a not a front facing, a major player in this case. So she is, she is a interesting, she's I think been on the bench only a year or so. I might be wrong about that. She hasn't been on too long, but the reason we're in Delaware is because these are corporations that are, they are incorporated in Delaware. So that is the sort of, um, the natural sort of legal venue for this. And Delaware Court of Chancery is already a unique situation. It's not, there's no juries here. It's a, it's a court of original and exclusive equity jurisdiction is how it's said. So it can handle a wide variety of cases, but typically it is the site where, or it's certainly the locality where we'll get the majority of corporate law and corporate law decisions because so many companies are incorporated in Delaware. So when you say Delaware law, that usually means that all of the corporate law you'll love will come from Delaware. So it's it's an interesting place. I know sometimes people aren't as familiar with the Court of Chancery. They haven't heard about it, but everyone certainly has by now. And I think everyone will hear about Judge McCormick certainly in the coming weeks. And I think you're correct that she seems to be someone who doesn't want to be pushed around and won't be pushed around, which raises some questions considering we're dealing with Elon, who, as the last few years have shown, is someone who pushes the envelope and doesn't always appreciate the exercise of authority over him. He flouts the rules a decent amount. And so the fact that people are even concerned about what happens if there's a judgment against Elon and he doesn't comply, the fact that's even a conversation in our, and in, in, that's a valid and reasonable conversation people are having, suggests that this judge is going to be pretty hard-nosed, I think, on him because of exactly that. Just, again, the personality he's bringing already into the courtroom, his reputation proceeds. A little bit earlier, you talked about the uniqueness of the parties, certainly the uniqueness of Elon Musk, world's richest man, or at least one of the top three, Twitter and its ubiquitousness in terms of social consciousness of the American psyche and in social media. And so I want to take those two factors and really pose the question, is the Delaware Court of Chancery designed to handle this kind of dispute, given everything you just said about how Elon will no doubt try this case in the court of public opinion with what appears to be a pretty no-nonsense judge? Yeah, I, look, if you're someone who's been steeped in corporate law and read a lot of these cases, you will know many things. So I don't think that the fact that this is an unprecedented situation will be out of the league of the Delaware courts. They certainly have made sweeping decisions before that have impacted incredible amounts of companies and even individuals. So I don't, I'm not too concerned that this doesn't seem like a super high profile court. I think it actually, I'd push back and I think it is in a lot of ways. So I think it will be able to handle this in terms of the media frenzy and everything else going on at the actual court, who knows. But but I do, I agree that this judge will, will face so much pressure, but, and also just exposure and press. But I, I, she's a Delaware Chancery Court judge. I think she'll be able to rise to the occasion. I always think back to the OJ trial where I really felt like Judge Lancito really lost control 
of his courtroom. He couldn't control what was going on outside. And just this week here in Texas, we had the Alex Jones damage component of the defamation case where I saw the judge keep control of her courtroom, once again, recognizing she could not control outside. And I've been in in front of some no-nonsense judges, and as counsel in front of them, we made a no-nonsense presentation. What I never had was a client who didn't understand that. I don't know how she's going to try and handle what Elon may or may not say outside the courtroom. Mm -hmm. She will probably admonish his counsel to the extent that's helpful at all or not. But she does seem like someone who's going to, she's set a five-day, one-week trial. She's going to keep it on track. She's not ordered limited discovery, but she seems to be, in her mind, the question before her is narrowly focused. Was there an obligation to close? If so, yes or no. If yes, what's an appropriate remedy? And she, it, like I said, at this point seems to be pretty no-nonsense and is going to keep things on the straight and narrow. We've got an October trial setting. I can't wait. <laughs> and because even now the discovery has become juicy. And oh. I don't mean, tell me about your 10 children with eight different women or knocking up your best friend kind of discovery. Going to the bankers who were financing this to get information about what he presented to them to determine his true state of mind. And I think that's not only a brilliant discovery tactic, but it's got to harass just the dog meat out of the Musk team as well. As I've read the discovery requests today and some yesterday, I actually was thinking about you, Tom, because I was thinking about how you have been, you've been consistent in the drumbeat about documenting everything. And I, I would say that what should be added to that is the <laughs> adage of don't put anything in an email you don't want read aloud in court. And I think every one of those people at Goldman and to all these places who have been involved, even tangentially in the steel, are thinking back on that idea because all of a sudden everything that they have touched is going to be potentially public. I mean, my first thought was, oh, my gosh, is there any way how much can you get privileged? over some of these things. I know Twitter now is demanding that they get the full amount of time to review, must counterclaim to make sure that there isn't any confidential information leaked. The review of how massive these requests are and who they are made of is, you're right, is juicy. Fortunately, early in my um, legal career where computers were involved, I learned the following maxim, don't put stupid stuff in emails, although I didn't use the word stuff, because that happened to me. And I learned that lesson very early. So I, I used to do a one-hour PowerPoint on that. Don't put stupid stuff in emails. So you're absolutely right. If you don't understand how it will be viewed by an independent third party, whether a judge, whether a jury, whether a regulator, whether a court of public opinion, or any of those, you risk opening the kimono a little too much. But I think this, the legal strategy or perhaps a tactical strategy of seeing if it was really true that he was trying to get funding, he was trying to keep his funding in place, he was in conversations with his bankers about potential devaluation of Twitter and what that might mean for his funding, that could go a long way towards showing whether he was his intent 
was to get out of this deal early on or not. If he's still trying to keep his funding up, that could bite Twitter the other way as well. That's a really good point. Yeah, his attorneys, I think when they changed tack from the substantive argument about the bots being the reason to the procedural argument that Twitter wasn't playing ball and giving him the documents he needed to verify this likely pretextual substantive argument he was making. That was an interesting tactic, but you're right. That's an interesting other way to think about another maybe line of, I don't know if we call it defense, but just what will come out in the wash on this could end up being something that would serve him. That's an interesting thought. So you hinted this is at this a little bit earlier, which was remedies. You mentioned the $1 billion breakup fee. Twitter has not asked for that yet. They've asked for the deal to be closed, or is what we've called specific performance. What happens if the Chantry Court makes a ruling and pick performance? And I assume it's going to be appealed, so we'll get some ruling from the Delaware Supreme Court at some point. But how do you enforce specific performance? The, the only times I've had to ask the court to enforce something was a discovery dispute, where someone was threatened with jail if they didn't turn over documents or, or other discoverable material. Could it go that far? Does the court have that much power or discretion for a party who does not obey their... That's, I think, really the issue and why I think specific performance is what problematic in some ways and fairly rare. Because to you think about what that means practically is that you're going to force Elon to run this company. And he said he doesn't want to. And I think most people on walking down the side are going to say, well, just make him pay. Make, But the idea of specific performance is not that you just pay out. You're not paying a penalty or even the breakup fee. You are going to run the company. You're going to close this deal. Certainly it's within the court's jurisdiction and their authority to, to demand that and award that to Twitter. But how that works in practicality, and I think that's where we see these conversations of what if he just says no? What happens so even this rule of law idea, if they can't enforce the ruling, a lot of commentators have suggested that the specific performance demand is shooting for the moon, hoping you'll fall among the stars kind of idea, meaning that really strengthening their negotiation power, maybe getting people all back to the table to figure out what deal they can come to otherwise. But I, I don't see either of these parties seeming are acting like they're not loaded for bear and wanting to go all the way to this trial. So I, I asked several questions about equity versus courts of law, and I really wanted to ask you to explain that to set up the following question or series of questions. Can a Delaware court sitting in equity craft a new or different remedy, different from the one the parties asked for? Is that an equitable power that has traditionally fallen on a court of equity? So we, there are terms in law, the remitter or the additor, this idea that there could be even be a, if you're in a different court, jury trial or something where the jury comes out and the judge doesn't think it's fair. So you make a motion for the judge to increase or decrease what the jury finds is a damage amount. And that's a remedy in equity as well, because you've gone through the legal process and then the judge has the discretion to move again, sitting as in equity, as an equitable remedy. And so I, I don't, I, I think this. Tell me if you think I'm way off on this, but I think that this is a situation where there could maybe be an ability to award the damages, figuring out what the equitable damage number is, short of specific performance. I think that is part of the authority given in equity to the judges and to this judge. 
No, I would agree, and I would agree wholeheartedly because I've wondered if Twitter wanted to make a claim of damages in terms of loss of market share, loss of uh, stock price, market cap, any of those arguments, and put that before the judge. I think that could be a legitimate remedy that the court could order short of specifically requiring Musk to take over or and or above the $1 billion breakup. I think that's right. Everyone is in agreement that the $1 billion breakup fee doesn't get close to the actual damages. And ironically, that's why Elon doesn't want to buy it anymore at the price he because I think it's trading at 41 or something today. He's promised to buy it at $54.20, which I think he quickly realizes wildly overpriced. So some people thought that was even the genesis of him trying to back out of this and maybe himself renegotiate a new deal to get it at a better price. And so we might end up in that space either way, which I think is maybe, I would imagine something both parties might be amenable to. Because the 1 billion breakup fee, I think is wildly insufficient for the damages that Twitter has suffered. So I think at this point, we are scheduled for an October 17th trial. We're recording this on August 4th. So basically two months and one week, two months and two weeks, perhaps till trial. I can only anticipate it's going to become more delicious up (laughs) until trial. I think they're right. And even tomorrow, we'll see what Elon has said in the countersuit. So it just gets more interesting every day. Karen, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I wanted to thank you. And I can't see wait to see what next time brings us. Same here. Thanks again, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Woody Report. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. It was to help get the word out about this newest podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. We're going to link to Karen Woody's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So if you have any questions, uh, you can follow up directly with Karen. This is Tom Fox. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Woody Report.